Welcome into State Your Line, a podcast for Kansas Cityans by Kansas Cityans. We are the Ritz Brothers. Today is April 14th, and we have an interview this week. We're back. I was wondering what you were going to start the show with, because again, like a little uh, small peek behind the curtain, Kevin and I like kind of talk about what the what the segments will be or like what the topics will be, but we never say like what we're going to say. We don't talk about like our point of view on whatever the topic is, but usually we know what we're starting the show with. And mm-hmm. I had no clue what you were going to start the show with. So I guess we're just starting the show talking about what we should start the show with. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that, that leads to the, spontaneity of the podcast we, it, we we were not scripted we we have our outline and then we just go attack it um, and, and we've done a couple episodes where we've gone into like a deep dive and or I guess a shallow dive into um, a little peek behind the curtain mm-hmm. we should do a, another deep dive episode about that too yeah I mean it, it's it's been a while this is going to be episode number 50 here uh, so yeah, it's been a while. We've learned a lot. There's a lot more going on behind the curtain. Um, another thing that goes on behind the curtain is I'm just making up how to run a podcast as I go. So one of those things is just when to delete things off my computer, which mm-hmm. I was very scared about. Um, and then it finally happened where I, I did delete a whole interview, <laughs> which happened last week. I was in a, I was in a dark place. That was not good. <laughs> and it was and it was late too. It was, oh, like it was late in the night. Yeah, um, but good news is uh, Danny Cooper is going to be nice enough to re-record the interview with us, um, and so she's going to give me a lot of crap, I'm sure, for um, deleting the original interview. Uh, falls in line with my personality type. Uh, yeah, I was going to say that we will say about, about you. Yeah, we'll we'll get into that. Um, but that'll probably be next week's episode. We're talking to Danny this week. Um, this week, we talk uh, with Josh Rowland. He is the CEO and vice chairman of Lead Bank, uh, which is a local bank here in Kansas City. Uh, what are they, downtown and the Crossroads? They have locations. Uh, yeah, the Crossroads and, and maybe Blue Springs. Yeah. Uh, I think they have three branches. Yeah, so we get into uh, a little bit just about uh, what it's like for small businesses right now uh, going through this um, shutdown and then really just get into some great conversations about Kansas City and its history and roots, uh, which was really, really fun too. Yeah, he's going to be one of those guys that we end up wanting to have back on the show to take a yes. dive into, into some of the things, but he is like, he's not what you would think of as a, a CEO president of a bank. Yeah. He has his doctorate he's very, in doctorate he's in very English charismatic. literature, I think. Yeah. He's got a doctorate, a PhD in English literature. He was a lawyer for a long time and just kind of took over a struggling business um, that his dad had bought on a whim. And um, it's just a, it's one of our best interviews that we've had. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the conversation. He's obviously a really smart guy, but, um, he's a very thoughtful person, um, me- meaning like he puts thought into everything he says and he's a, yeah. a deeply critical thinker. And, uh, I really appreciated that about him and I enjoyed the heck out of that interview. Yeah. So, and I uh, don't have 
a lot of respect for banks in general. I bank with Wells Fargo. Um, so I, you know, that's where I am with banks. I don't know what that means, what that says about me. Maybe it just yeah. says, I don't, I don't, I know all banks suck and are immoral, but talking with Josh was like, okay, this is actually a real person who's in charge of this bank who cares about his customers and, and cares about the city that he's in, which was yeah. not what I expected at all. Cause again, my only experience in banking is with Wells Fargo. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Josh yeah. is the anti-Wells he, Yeah. He's the anti-Wells Fargo. He yeah. was awesome. Very, very cool to talk to you. So uh, we'll, we'll get into that interview here in just a little bit. Uh, but before we do that, we got to jump into our normal um, segments here in the show, uh, talking about uh, openings and closings in Kansas City. Uh, usually we talk about bars, restaurants that are opening, events going on that are opening up soon. None of that's happening. Uh, but we do have a really cool opening that we just heard about. Um, via some of our listeners, uh, Danny Linder and Lindsey Frankie, shout out to them. It's called Dividing Lines. Yeah, so the app is actually called um, Voice Map, but yes. basically what it is is the Johnson County uh, Public Library put together um, content um, for this Voice Map app, and it's a it's basically a radio program that uh, hooks into the GPS of your phone and it takes you on a, on a tour of Kansas city. And mm-hmm. the t- this tour, um, it, it seems like the topics of the tours can be anything. They can be historically based. They can be about landmarks. Um, but the one that they did for Kansas city is about the dividing lines within Kansas city. Those are, um, you know, obviously uh, roads like Troost, which um, is big divisions um, in, in, between blacks and whites um, historically and to this day. Um, and then other dividing lines from, from way back in history. A lot of what they talk about is um, like blockbusting, uh, which was a practice of, of real estate agents in like the 60s um, of basically, um, you know, contributing to, to racial segregation, signing uh, by banks and other federal agencies, um, white flight, uh, all that kind of stuff the dividing lines of Kansas city, the historical context behind them and kind of why they happened. And so the app knows where you're at because it's connected to the GPS of your phone and it'll give you directions and where to turn and all that stuff. And then it'll start playing the program about the surrounding areas. And um, it's really cool. I didn't didn't know that existed. Yeah. It's an awesome thing. Um, and I feel like that's something that, um, I think a lot of Kansas Cityans wish they knew more about to understand, um, that dividing line and where it came from and how it happened. Um, and so that, that's a great part about this app. It's, I, I actually downloaded the, so you download the voice map app mm-hmm. and you can just create an account or you can just log in with your Facebook, um, and then it will know your location. So you pick the Kansas City tour. Um, and so that's all easy. And then it'll give you directions about where to start. It actually starts at the Shawnee Mission East parking lot on 75th and Mission in the north parking lot, I think. Um, so you go there and then, you know, start driving. It says it'll take 45 minutes to an hour. Um, it advises you to kind of go during a, a not so busy time of the day on the roads, which right now is all hours of the day. So yeah, exactly. Really, whenever you have a free break, you can, you know, 
take take the car out and I like I suggested last week, getting out and driving around. You don't even have to get out of the car. So um, how long does it take? About forty five minutes to an hour. Um, so you can just drive slow, and then as you get to different checkpoints, it'll continue talking about you know a historical significance of it or different topics like Danny talked about, like redlining, um, white flight, all those things that were happening to create these dividing lines. Yeah, and I think they talk about too, like um, some landmarks too. It sounded like they were, there's a little preview you can listen to. It sounded like they were talking about Walt Disney. So mm-hmm. I, they drive through like, you know, Walt Disney's first art studio, I think was like down in like the 18th and Vine area. Um, so, and I know it takes you down there. So I think um, they might talk about some of that, uh, that other, Kansas City history that uh, um, you might might not know much about. Yeah, and it looks like it takes you down to 22nd in Baltimore, too, where Municipal Stadium was, where the mm-hmm. Chiefs played, I think, their first season, the Kansas City A's played. Um, so very, very cool uh, thing that's, that's coming this week. So, again, download the Voice Map app and then just let it see your location, log in with Facebook, uh, go to the Shiny Mission East parking lot, and then drive the tour. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's what's opening uh, this week. Uh, closing this week, uh, man, I, I'm I'm just bummed. I, I never went here, uh, but beignet KC because I anything like a fried donut. Yeah, I'm in for that. Um, yeah, I, I know. Boys, and I'm I'm just bummed I never went. I know, right? Um, I it had other like it, I think what I had never been either. And so when I heard that it was closing, I was like, oh, it must be just like Cafe Mod and, or whatever it is in New Orleans, right? They basically just serve beignets. But no, they had like a very Cajun style menu. You could get like Cajun meatballs and gumbo um, and Crips. jambalaya and whatnot. Other Red Cajun. beans and rice. Oh, man. Koto. Down in the bayou. But, uh, but they are closing, yeah. Uh, and I think a lot of it has to do with this um the pandemic obviously had been there for seven years it was chef owned and operated um i think this gets to a a bigger point that is the food delivery apps are not helping they don't really help local restaurants so what i mean by that is like uber eats grubhub um those other apps they take like a 30 percent cut when you order through them and the restaurant can't charge you more because of that. And so they're taking the 30% cut from the restaurant's revenue on that order. And then on top of that, you know, the fees for the app and the fees for the delivery driver and all that stuff. And so when you're used, basically what you should be doing is ordering pickup or pickup or carry out directly mm-hmm. from the restaurant, avoiding the middleman apps like Grubhub and Postmates and Uber Eats because they are taking like basically a 30% cut. And the owner of uh, Beignet said, you know, that didn't help because it, you know, they could, they could send orders through that app, but they weren't really making any money because the app takes a big cut and those apps serve their use. And I'm not saying completely get rid of those apps, but right now, if you're trying to support local restaurants, I would probably avoid, um, using those apps and um, just because they're taking such a big cut. Yeah. And I mean, you got time on your hands, get out 
And like I said, go for a drive. I went, drove down uh, to the Peanut on Main, got carry out this weekend. Three wings, cheesy fries, cheesy fries traveled very well. Um, Whoa! Yes. Uh, wings traveled well. Uh, just fantastic. Don't even have to go into the building. Um, you just go into the janitor's closet that is the back door. Uh-huh. Um, swipe your card uh, and then get out of there. So, um, yeah, that was the thing. I never, I don't really understand the point of using those food delivery apps right now because then you have a stranger. Yeah. No accountability handling your food. Mm-hmm. Like someone you, some, someone who has no, at least restaurant workers, like there's a manager that's making sure the restaurant uh, workers like aren't sick and washing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And aren't breathing on your food with, with bad germs. A, a Grubhub delivery driver could be literally anyone. And there's yeah. no accountability. No one checking in on them to see if they have symptoms or not. So mm-hmm. uh, I really don't understand using those apps and and even the grocery apps right now. I just think you know it's safer to put on a mask and go to the grocery store yourself. But um, that's another tangent. I don't know why I'm being so negative. I need to. <laughs> Get out of my uh, sin- this is like more positive than you were pre-podcast too. Another peek behind the curtain. How pissed off you were, and we'll get into that a little <laughs> bit later. Uh, but yeah, so I'm glad you you picked up the positivity and and you're trying to stay above the negativity. Yeah. Pull me out. Pull me out. <laughs> yeah, just think. You know, you go do the the carry out. Do what makes you happy. And now you got to pass on that advice. So so be happy for that. Okay, um, Kevin. Thank you. And now let's talk about, oh, man, this might get you feeling negative too. Shit. <laughs> the one we tried this week. <laughs> no, I'll be all right. I, okay. I, uh, I tried baking bread this week. As I said on the podcast, I wanted to get in. I think we're doing the mixed plate of um, activities or something to do during um, quarantine. And I said I wanted to get into baking bread. So I tried to start with a simple, very simple, no-need bread recipe. So you don't even need to knead it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's supposed to be really easy. And folks, I am not meant for making bread. I am not. one try. Like, Come on. I, I'm going to keep trying. Trust me. I'm going to keep trying. But like bread baking and baking in general, but especially bread, it is such a precise. It requires two, two things more than anything. Precision and patience Mm. and those things I really struggle with like I like cooking because a lot of it's just like a lot of it's just dash and and, you know some some spices that you like on there see what happens you know if you cook a potato for an hour or if you cook a potato for an hour and 15 minutes it's really not a big deal um and baking is not like that like everything is exactly precise and you really have to be patient Whereas like cooking, I'm like seeing it cook. It's browning right with me. Boom, it, whatever it is. So baking, especially baking bread, baking bread is, um, I'm not great at it, but I'm going to work on it. I got some encouraging words from my guy, Slophole. Slophole is uh, a master baker and makes a lot of bread. Yeah. The fact that I'm taking bread baking advice from a guy named Slophole, you know, I might it might be, you know, not the best, but um, I thought I thought Slophole was throwing shade at you, you know, uh, sub Instagramming you, if you will, 
because you posted your bread on Instagram, the failure mm -hmm. that it was, how flat it was. And then mm -hmm. Slap Hole comes in showing these delicious looking, very, um, I don't even know how to plump. describe, plump pieces of bread. And he didn't oh, it was tag the next you day. in it. He didn't tag you in it. And I, I, I talked to Slap Hole. I was like, wow, man, just tag Danny next time because you completely owned it. Yeah, he's sub grand for sure but uh yeah, i'll take some you know i'll take any any advice um the yeast it didn't work it's bs yeast nothing rose very sticky i don't get it so i'll need some help there yeah all right all right uh let's see i tried um i tried color club kc this week um so color club kc here's why i wanted to mention them they're a new um Collar Club. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they're a new dog boarding and dog um, grooming facility here. Um, and I just thought they were doing some really cool things. I got to talk to uh, the owners while I was there. They're probably about my age. Two Kansas City guys who just started it, um, which was, I thought, really cool. Um, another cool thing that they're doing is uh, free doggy daycare for healthcare workers right now. So if you're a nurse or a doctor or work in a hospital and um, you still have to go into work for those long 12-hour shifts, Collar Club KC right in Waldo, take care of your dog for free. Another nice thing, if you drop your dog off to get a haircut, like I did my girlfriend's dog, uh, they get a free day of daycare too with the you haircut. That's, they, uh, did they, uh, they neuter you too after <laughs> dropping your girlfriend's dog off and – Jeez, for uh, dropping your girlfriend's like six pound dog off at the groomer yeah uh, might as well just go ahead and snip those uh, off too. Uh, yeah i know i was asking that's uh they're they're having those on special too uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah really nice guys again if you're a nurse healthcare worker free doggy daycare during this time which is uh awesome and everybody else gets a, a, their first day of uh, daycare free so uh, great experience there. Would recommend. Um, so that is what we tried this week. Um, all right. I, I, let's, uh, no further ado, let's just jump into this interview. We've already hyped it up enough. All right. Today we are joined by Josh Rowland. He is the CEO and vice chairman of Lead Bank. Um, and Josh, I thought it was relevant to talk to you this week. Uh, just with everything going on in the world with uh, the coronavirus. Um, and then we figured we could dive into that CARES Act a little bit that I've been hearing okay. about that small businesses can apply for. Yeah. Um, I took one finance class in college, so you're going to have to dumb this down a little bit for me. Uh, but tell me a little bit about the CARES Act and, and, and how are small businesses in Kansas City using that? Well, it's really, it's really super important. And, and the, the trouble with it is even if you took a class in finance, you probably still would have a lot of trouble with it mm -hmm. um, because uh, the set of rules that they've tried to come up with that actually really get at uh, most American small business are, it's really complicated. And then the funding mechanism is pretty complicated. But Wait, the government is complicating things? Yeah. Well, oh. <laughs> I, I'm a little bit different. I'm a little bit different there. I don't think that they, they are complicating things. I think that the nature of the realities that we're trying to deal with are simply complicated. You have different interest groups. You have really small businesses, and then you have huge businesses that employ millions and millions of people. 
And they're both businesses and they're both suffering, but how do you deal with them? You have to deal with them differently. Mm -hmm. They require different kinds of solutions. So, because they have different kinds of access, you know, they have different kinds of access. So in a nutshell, basically, um, the federal government is going to provide forgivable loans to people to keep people paid and keep people on the job. So even if there's a work slowdown, even if the business like a restaurant um, is has to close its doors and can't do the carry out, basically it's a way for them to keep the people on the payroll, um, borrow the money to do that, and then have those loans forgiven if they're using them for payroll. So it's a pretty simple idea. The execution is difficult because you have to do things like they have to verify that it's actually being used for payroll because one of the problems is people will try to defraud the government and they'll try to take the money even they, and they won't use it for payroll. So you've got to provide mechanisms to verify that. And that's one of the things that the banks are doing. Funding is coming from existing banks like community banks like ours. So it's not something you're going to get from cabbage. It's not something you're going to get from some FinTech company. You have to go to a bank. The bank has to have uh, a charter and a connection to um, the SBA, the small business administration. And once that happens, once that connection gets made, frankly, the system is now in place. A lot of banks have it. We have it. A digital onboarding, digital solution. So it should be faster now. But basically, the idea is to keep people employed. Josh, is that just the nature of writing a bill really quickly and then handing it off to the to like the people at the banks and the, the other government bodies to figure it out. Like obviously the government had to think of something and write a bill really quickly and you don't have the time to iron out all the small details. You got to kind of pass that off to someone else to iron, iron out those details. Is that just kind of the result of writing a bill in in two weeks? I think it is exactly. I mean, so like take the, take something like the, the, um, the initial stimulus, which was going to be like $1,200 to taxpayers. Okay. Sounds pretty simple. Sounds pretty simple, right? Mm-hmm. But, but actually, how do you get money in people's hands? If you issue a bunch of checks and you just send them off in the mail, you could lose a lot of money that way. Okay. There's a lot of fraud that's possible that way. So you say, okay, well, well let's have the IRS deliver because the IRS knows who the taxpayers are. And the IRS has direct deposit. So the, so there's all these connections between the IRS, but the IRS has only taxpayer information as of last year. They don't have 2019's taxpayer information. So how do you do that? So, you know, people get irate and they get impatient, but how do you think you have to work through all of these processes to figure out how it's actually going to get done? So it, in, that's just a nutshell, uh, in a nutshell, an example of how complex it is when you have a country this large with people all over the place, people who are mobile, people, you know, switch banks, people move their address, all of those things. So I think what's important for the audience to understand is that the point of this bill, the point of this initial bill is to keep people employed, even if there's a work slowdown, even if the business is slowed down. Yeah. And that's why the loans are forgivable. Um, and that's why we're, tr- we're trying to get the money in the hands of the businesses as quickly as possible so that they can keep people employed. And then, essentially, there's a lot of faith being exercised here, faith that the banks can actually verify the empl- that the employment records are right 
so that the loan can be forgiven. And, and then in the end, hopefully that this keeps everybody employed and keeps the businesses so that we can get through this, you know, 60 day period. Yeah. And when you say they're forgivable, does that mean like they're a zero interest loan or truly yeah, like gone. it's just gone? It's gone. Oh, I got to get one of those. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, well, seriously, you got to get, you got to make sure that your employer and everybody's employer gets one yes. because, because that's where, that's how they're going to be able to keep paying you. Unless you're a small business owner, maybe you've got employees and you should apply. Mm -hmm. But you can't, at the same time, you can't double dip into both bills, right? So the first bill right. was the family first bill and that provided some benefit, but right. the second one, you can't, you can't take from both if you're a small business. Right. No, there will be, there will be, I'm sure other pieces of stimulus that will come and they will overlap um, because there's some businesses that aren't included in the PPP, the payroll protection act. There's some businesses that have, they're going to have different, um, they're going to have different relationships. And so I don't think this is by any means the end of what's going to happen in terms of overall stimulus because people who do lose their jobs and for those businesses that don't come back, then the question is going to be, where is that employment going to come from? And, you know, there's discussion that I've read about, and I'm no expert on this. I'm not, you know, I'm not a, a journalist um, or an economist, but around infrastructure spending and trying to actually do some things that are more long-term to get people employed if there is real disruption and, and loss of, not just loss of jobs, but loss of businesses, loss of enterprises that we're hiring those people. So. So if, if someone is in that scenario where their, their business shuts down um, and maybe that's why they, they lose their job to this, what, what's available to those people? Is it just they need to think about flying, filing for unemployment or oh, yeah. is there a safety net uh, for those people who are losing their job because of this? I, all I can do is sigh um, because uh, – there is, I mean, my, my, this is my perception. There is not really an adequate safety net for people in this country, period. There's unemployment. There are uh, other, there are other of those kind of benefit programs, but, but years and years and years of policy uh, decisions and political decisions have led to a lack of a adequate safety net, lack of adequate health insurance. I mean, we know, you know, you, you know what you're seeing in the, in the dis disparate rates of infection and death in this disease and lower um, income communities is because of the lack of adequate health insurance and health and health outcomes for those people. So, so, I mean, it's a pretty serious thing, but it's revealing, I think, the lack of planning around social welfare in this country. So are they, are those people going to be like, really, they have, they have unemployment, which they can file for and the, maybe the $1,200 stimulus check that's coming and, um, and then trying to find another job, right? That's, that's the way we've done it historically in this country. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, minus the $1,200. Yeah. You know? I, mm -hmm. So that, that $1,200 that is coming. So I guess, you know, we know if, if someone has lost a job, like obviously they're going to need that money to, to put food on the table. But somebody like, okay, in my scenario, I'm still going to be employed. I'm going to get that check. What, what should I do with it? I, I've kind of been thinking like, 
is it something like this is a good time to maybe invest that to save it uh to you know turn it into gold and dig it dig a hole in my backyard and put it there and remember we're gonna we're gonna hold you to this and anything yeah. you tell kevin <laughs> you know it, it counts as financial advice and if it goes oh. wrong I'm just, holding pumped. I'm, I'm just pumped I'm getting financial advice from the CEO of a bank for free. So I, I, whatever you want to tell me, you know, <laughs> I'll let you listen, off the hook. You're, you're kind of onto something. The quality of my advice is definitely, uh, is definitely pretty, pretty poor. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I don't know, it, you know, that there's an income cutoff. I won't ask you how much money you're making, but there's an income cutoff for the $1,200. Uh, so. I get the full 1200 Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, honestly, this podcasting you know, life, you know, it's not so lucrative. Honestly, um, you might as well, you might as well spend it on something that you need, uh, because it's not going to earn you any interest in the bank. It's not going to go anywhere. Uh, $1,200 in the stock market invested today. I don't think it's going to do you very much good. Um, and, uh, you know, if you buy something that you, that you've long wanted and it, uh, and it uh, serves a need and it's a durable kind of thing or, uh, you're actually putting people to work. I mean, that's the point of it, right? The point mm -hmm. of it is that if everybody spent their $1,200 on, you know, they get their car, they get new tires for their car. There are people that are benefiting. They're doing the job. They're getting, you know, they're helping get those tires shipped. All of those things are, you know, that's the, that's the principle of, of, of the, of the thing. But if you, but, the fact is you could also just put it in your bank and wait or put it in, put it in uh, you might as well put it in a bank cause then it's insured. And if it, you can't get it robbed, it won't get robbed mm -hmm. if your house gets broken into. So right. I, I guess my advice to you is put it in the bank. Yeah. And it, or, I, or, or buy some wings from the peanut and, you know, help a local business like that way, you know? Well, see, I, I totally, <laughs> that's, I totally think that's right. Yeah. Like, because if you bought wings, if you made a point, I'm going to buy wings from the peanut, every week and i'm gonna buy mm. and i'm gonna buy a pizza from pizza 51 every week and i'm gonna and i'm just gonna trickle it out but i'm gonna keep i'm not gonna hunker down i'm not gonna be afraid i'm going to continue to be part of this community that to me is the way i would do it if i if i was getting that money that's what i would use it for uh so you, know, you make like, so you so make I, more than the cutoff as the CEO of a bank. Okay. I do. All right. Mm. I'm with you now. <laughs> yeah, that's big and true. Um, Josh, you mentioned, you mentioned not taking your advice um, or taking it with a grain of salt, I guess. And I would agree with you there because um, it looks like your education, um, you don't know squat about banking. So you, totally. that's absolutely right. You have a, um, a degree in Bachelor of Arts from uh, well from Stanford, and then a PhD PhD in English Literature from Yale, whatever, and then um, graduated magnum cum laude from Boston College Law School. Um, none of that has to do anything with banking. So um, yeah, agreed. Why should we take your advice? But then, seriously, um, how I, told, did you... I didn't tell you to. I, I didn't even bring this up. Okay, I did not. I did not bring this up. Yeah, but why should we? Or, or what got? Not why should we? What got you into banking? Why? Why do you now, after all of that? Um, um, why are you the CEO of a bank <laughs> in Kansas City, Missouri? You know, um, it's a 
it's a crazy story. Um, and it, it just so happened that my father had, uh, he was a businessman. My late father was a businessman and he had been a lawyer and he, um, he was getting ready to retire. He had a very successful career. Just, just to put it bluntly, he had been very successful. And he decides toward the end of his career, he was very civically active, a philanthropist and, and very kind of a civic uh, activity, activator kind of guy. And he decided, he heard this story of this sleepy little bank in Garden City, Missouri. And he was, a, he was an idealist and a romantic and he loved underdogs. And he always loved, um, he was very kind of um, mischievous kind of guy. And so he heard this story of this, community, of this little community bank in Garden City, Missouri, that he had no connection to. It was totally random coincidence that he met these people. And he got intrigued about the idea of buying a little community bank. And so in 2005, he did. He bought a little community bank called Garden City Bank. I wasn't even Kansas, I wasn't living in Kansas City. I had nothing to, you know, I wasn't anything. I was practicing law in Boston. And he, bought, he buys his bank. None of us have any interest in, we don't have any knowledge of community bank. We don't have any knowledge of banking at all. And frankly, he really didn't have any interest in running it either. The, his partners that he bought that owned the 7% share, they were going to own, they were going to manage it for him. And he did practically no due diligence. He did, <laughs> he did, I mean, I cannot tell you the kind of guy he was. He, he just thought it would all be fine. And yeah. he thought it would kind of be fun. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I can relate to that. Just like, yeah, it'll all work out. Whatever. Yeah. Well, don't buy a bank, my friend. Don't okay. buy a bank. Yeah, I'm thinking about buying like some loafers. What they are is they're, they're foam loafers. Nice. And Instagram keeps, um, give, they're basically fancy Crocs. And yeah. I really want to buy those. So essentially like me buying loafers is like your dad buying a bank. It's kind of true. It's kind of <laughs> true. I think I'm going to use that from now on. Yeah. To compare to, as an example of like the level of due diligence my father did in buying this bank. Mm-hmm. Check out these flofers, Josh. Yeah. I think, I think you'll, I think you'll be into them. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> so, so, basically, so basically he buys this bank and this is 2005. I moved back to Kansas city in 2006 because of my wife's job. I'm practicing law and we start to, I start, I serve on the board of the bank and I start to learn about the bank a little bit. And I'm like, you know, this seems like a lot more complicated and a lot bigger deal for our family than he's (laughs) actually acting like it is. Like, this is kind of a big deal. (laughs) We had built our second, we just building our second branch out in Blue Springs. Uh, We built a, built a building. It's beautiful, big building. I was like, somebody in the family ought to know something about this. Like, this is like, this is like real stuff. <laughs> so I, I, I asked to be employed at the bank. I asked to go work at the bank. And so I do, I joined in 2008, February, and then it hits the fan. Um, in, in, by the end of that year, we were under enforcement actions from the FDIC, the federal reserve, the state of Missouri. We were a terrible bank. I mean, like, you will not interview a CEO of a bank that was the CEO was part of the worst, one of the worst banks in the country. You will never have another interview like this. <laughs> we're we're honored were, because they all, because the rest of them that were as bad as we are, they're all gone. They're absorbed into somebody else, but we were so bad. Like no one would have bought us. We were losing money. 
like we were just shoveling money out the door. Like we had bad loans, we had bad deposits. It was an it was a total disaster. Yeah, that that 2008 was was rough. I had a similar experience. My dad was also trying to teach me about investing, not by like buying a bank, but setting up a mutual fund for me. Yeah. And this was like 2007, my junior year of high school. He's like, "Yeah, here's what investing's like. You've made you know, you've saved up money from your summer jobs. Why don't you put it all in there? And then later it'll turn into more money. I'm like, great, sweet. That was like late 2007. And then boom. Yeah. It's just like, oh God. <laughs> That's horrible. Pretty yeah. similar. Pretty similar. Yeah, very similar. So I'm there with you. So, so no one wants to buy your bank. You, everything's yeah, I mean, going terribly. I mean, we, you know, we're, we, we get into litigation with the former owners, with the partners. Um, we, I mean, just the building, the building wasn't built right. So it's the pipes are busting in the, in the, in the, in the building. Like, and I, and as you put it, why am I there? I have nothing to offer. Yeah. Like, I am totally inadequate to the task, <laughs> you know, but like, you like you have to do you have to like basically figure it out and so here's what i would say here's the kind of short answer is that when you go through a thing like that what you realize it's it's totally not about numbers it's not about numbers numbers don't get you anywhere you have to actually understand like the point of what you're doing the why you have to understand like why the why you know people talk about that it's kind of like it's kind of like a BS kind of uh, corporate speak, but like, and, and kind of like self-actualization crapola, but you have to like, what is the why? Okay. And, and when you're looking at that and you're looking at people and you're looking at like people whose, whose livelihoods are, are collapsing, you know, and you've made a loan to them and you're both in it together. You're both in this boat that's sinking together and you are like trying to figure out like what, what are you going to, what are you going to salvage? And, and I, I mean, the numbers are like ways to tell a story, but, but by their very nature, numbers are trying to be reductive because they want numbers like numbers, like they want to tell you, they, they depict a reality. And then you believe that that is the reality. That's what's crazy about, that's the insanity of numbers. And, and we're in this, I think we're in this total insanity of numbers where, where we, we've, we've like put them on a pedestal. And like, if it can be quantified, then it's reality. But that's actually not the way any of us live. Like this COVID thing is like, we're not living in a numbers reality. We're living in a reality of like, oh my God, how do I relate to other people? Like, you're wearing a mask. You're not wearing a mask. Are you ill? Are you not ill? What is your, like, what are we doing together? And that's the way banking is all the time. And so to me, thinking about literature and thinking about literature and understanding the ways that people tell stories and the th things that are important to them, the way that some things that are important are masked in a story and some things that are important are, are revealed through stories and through understanding, like that's the whole thing. And we use, we use the numbers to help us compare stories. But it's the stories of people that, are, that matter. 
And that's, that's what I think I'm guess what I care about. Mm-hmm. And that's what I learned in the, in this first, in the first crisis is, okay, you really have to get down to first principles and those first principles are not quantifiable, mm-hmm. but you know, so I, that's where I think, that's where I think, I mean, I'm not qualified to give you any advice, but I'm, I'm qualified to listen to your story. And at the bank, um, do you see it as a challenge? And then you were just like, I hey, can't, Danny, can you now this is, this is what I have to do. Hey, Danny, can you repeat oh, that question? Yeah, I, I mean, we broke up a little bit there. So I'm going to have Danny repeat that question real quick. Yeah. Okay. So you asked to be employed in 2008 and all of this shit hits the fan. Did you see it? Like, this is a challenge. This is going to be my challenge now. And I'm going to be the one to, or I want to be the one to kind of pull us out of this. And, and then what was the next steps? Um, You know, I've I've seen now lead bank has its presence in the crossroads, Kansas city. um, And you guys have grown a lot over the past five, six, seven years. So what was the, um, did you see that? Like, I want this to be my challenge. And then what did you do and what like actionable items did you take so that you could ensure lead bank now continues to grow and and has become, um, you know, a a strong player in Kansas city? Well, honestly, um, I thought it would be incredibly interesting to be a business owner. So that was like 2008, like, mm-hmm. okay, my family, we're going to be, we're going to own a business. So I thought that was incredibly interesting, just right in and of itself. And, um, and so then the crisis, the, the great recession happens. And actually it's really just, uh, it was really emotional because my father, um, he, he didn't deserve it. He didn't deserve the mistake that he made. He really didn't deserve it. He, um, he had had a fantastically great career in Kansas city. he had helped a lot of people. He had worked for a lot of, um, you know, he'd worked on a lot of very difficult, but good causes like the, the Kansas city healthcare foundation and, um, among other things that he was proud of. So, so, so when I saw how shell-shocked he was by this, and he didn't know what to do. He didn't have any clue what to do. I was like, okay, I'm going to fix that for him. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to make sure that we earn some money. And, and then he got sick. And then he got cancer and he got sick in like 2013. And I was like, we're going to earn money. We're going to earn some money. And he's not going to worry about this thing. He's not going to worry that, that, I mean, I can't even, it's, I tell these stories so transparently because it's all public record. You know, we, mm-hmm. all of this stuff, like you, I don't ever want to be in an interview and have told something that people could just look online and say, well, that's not true. Mm-hmm. I'd rather, yeah. rather, even though it seems kind of like a humble brag, like how bad we were and how, and how much we recovered, you know, I, 
the fact is, I don't want to, the fact is, I feel like I, like we lost tens of millions of dollars trying to save this bank. It's mm-hmm. all there in the public records. And that was all my father's money. Mm-hmm. And he was just shell-shocked. Mm-hmm. And I was like, we're going to earn, we're going to earn some money before he dies. So that was kind of like, that was kind of like, that was just pounding in my mind all the time. So actionable items though, to do that, the first thing is, is we, cha- we changed our name. We changed our name to Lead Bank and we said, it has to be a real word, not a bullshit made up word. It has to be something that people actually understand as I can't believe you didn't throw and, um, like first in there. Just go ahead and name it first lead bank or uh, first, you know, you gotta, you gotta throw first in there, right? First AstroZenith. Yeah. <laughs> first, you know, first. Yeah. I, I mean, so basically we had had to be a real word in the English language that people could understand. It was bad enough that we chose lead because people made jokes. It was like, Oh, is it lead bank? And I was like, yeah, it's lead bank. <laughs> So, so we chose a one word mission statement because that was important because then we say to our staff, okay, look, we screwed all of this stuff up and we screwed it up basically by not making any of our own decisions, by just doing what everybody else was doing and not actually investing in, in people that were really good and not training and not nurturing people and not investing in technology. So, so we were... We were lousy followers, basically, of, the, of bad practices. So I said, no, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to lead, okay? So if you ever are in doubt about whether we should be doing something, ask yourself, is this what a leader would do? And if a leader wouldn't do it, in your conception of what a leader was, then it, we shouldn't do it. So if it's, if it's a customer question and they, you know, there's some uncertainty, what would a lead what would somebody who was a leader in banking do? Mm-hmm. And that was kind of our start, you know, that was kind of our start. And we began, uh, we just began cleaning up our loans and we began, you know, uh, trying to, trying to act that way. Um, and the one, the, the thing that you mentioned about the crossroads is we didn't have any connection to Gar- Garden City, Missouri, really. We, and we didn't have any connection to Blue Springs, really, because those were the former partners. Um, so I said, well, where do we have a connection? Well, I grew up in Midtown, um, you know, and uh, this is where my family's all lived. You know, my father worked downtown. So let's get downtown. Let's get to our peeps and let's, let's interact with them and let's try to help them. And so... We opened the Crossroads location in 2015. My father got to see that open. That was another very good moment. Um, but all throughout this has been this kind of idea that, look, if, if there's any bank in the country that can do something, we also can do it. Okay? So that's a first principle. It doesn't mean we should, but it means we can. So then we say, what are the things that banks can do? And we evaluate them and we then hire the people to do them and we make our own decisions. So that's been the, the kind of point. And, and we've tried to figure out ways to serve people that basically have been shafted by banks 
for centuries. Like, I mean, like banks were built to exclude people. The way you know how to make a loan, the way you know who you're going to make a loan to, guess how? Is by figuring out who you're not going to loan money to. So, so the history of redlining in this, in this, in this city, the history of discrimination um, against women, um, uh, 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 Jewish people, black people, um, any kind of ethnic minority in the city, we have a terrible history of that. So that's like, okay, well, I know we can do that. Let's do that. Let's go find ways to uh, serve minority business owners and people in minority communities. Let's go try to, you know, find women to be bankers here. Let's go, you know, and all of this is by way of saying we are nowhere near where we've got to get. But mm -hmm. these are our, these are our ideals, and this is what we're committed to, and this is what we're trying to do every day. Yeah, and you talked about as you're talking about that. Um, I just read an article where you're really putting your money where your mouth is there, and uh, the donation that you've made to the Opportunity Hub. Uh, right here in Kansas City. So uh, tell us a little bit about why you thought, especially in this time, it was important to invest in those entrepreneurs uh, right now. Well, you know, we've, we've done a couple of different things. We, uh, we were partners with Launch KC and Tech Week when it was, when it was here yeah. years ago in 2015, 16, 17. Uh, we've been, um, I've been as active as I, as, as really I, I, I can be in trying to help create that kind of venture ecosystem here in Kansas City. It's, it's not enough really for what the dialogue that we need to create and the kind of seed bed where, that, where entrepreneurs and innovators kind of feel at home here and feel like they can, they can, they can take root and they can, uh, they can innovate and they can um, experiment is not good enough. So uh, we have to come together and find ways to support that. Well, if it's bad in Kansas City for uh, for white entrepreneurs, minority entrepreneurs and innovators have it bad everywhere in this country. And uh, given that I think one of the things that I can do is be an advocate for inclusion, it's like, okay, Kansas City needs a uh, minority accelerator. We've got Techstars and we've got uh, the Sprint Accelerator and we've got um, uh, Nutera Health Accelerator. We had the, FinTech, the Fountain City FinTech, but we don't have anything that, that demonstrates kind of our commitment to inclusion and equity. Um, and we were pre presented with this opportunity by people at the KCEDC, the Economic Development Council, as well as um, people at OHUB. And we just think it's the right thing to do to provide another kind of stimulus for, for uh, innovators of color um, and uh, to, to find a home here, to find that seedbed where there's, where there's uh, that kind of uh, welcome. And so that's part of it. You know, it's not nearly enough. We need more people to join in and sponsor these uh, these great innovators that we can bring to Kansas City because they can transform. They can transform Kansas City if we can provide the environment where they feel welcome and, and included and where they can build equity. Yeah, maybe. What's one of the startups that or, or um, entrepreneurs that, that you've had a relationship with that maybe like maybe they're in a part of OHUB or they're um, someone we haven't heard of yet that you think, okay, these people are doing things the right way. This is an entrepreneur to, to keep our eyes on in Kansas City. Well, one, you know, we've worked with uh, um, Bloom. Um, oh, you yeah. may know Bloom. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, Bloom is a 
is a really cool company helping people, ordinary people, real people manage their 401ks. Um, and Chris Costello is on our technology advisory board. We really have tremendous respect for Chris. Um, more recently, we've uh, joined forces with a company called Bellwether. Bellwether is uh, founded by a guy named Matt Moody. It's a machine learning and data analytics company. They help, they help um, small businesses get a machine learning strategy put together, um, you know, kind of help, help uh, make it available, that technology, at a scale that people, you know, small businesses can, a smaller business can afford. Um, he's a K-State graduate, I think Matt is, um, Kansas guy, um, just absolutely smart engineer, totally, you know, he's part of the Techstars Accelerator, really, uh, really super, super cool guy, really like Matt. So what, what else does Kansas City need to get on the, the level of like the Nashvilles and the Austins uh, of the country that, um, you know, people, when they graduate college and they're in tech, they want to move here um, or they're in, they're in a startup world. What, what, what else does Kansas City need to, to kind of grow to that level? Well, you tell me. You're that. You're that generation. You're those guys. What? What? Um. What keeps you here? Um. I think. Well, what keeps me here is growing up here and just and my love for the city and and the civic pride that I have. Um. I think a lot of that comes from, um, the 2015 Kansas City Royals and um, just how baseball took over the town and and um. But I also think it's the Midwestern values of Kansas City and and. Um, how we take care of each other and, and uh, you know, we're kind of that, we're kind of a city with a small town feel. So that's what I love about Kansas city is that like it, you, you know, so many people and you're, you know, they talk about six degrees of separation in Kansas city, you're like one degree of separation yeah. from everyone. And um, so that's what I love about it. Now, if I'm trying to attract people that aren't, weren't born and raised here, um, I'd have to think about that a little bit more, but you know, I think, um, uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's kind of my answer to that. I, I think you're right with uh, Kansas City having a lot of the, the great things about uh, a big city with, as far as entertainment goes, downtown, um, with with those Midwestern values, I think can attract people in. Just the, the cost of living here being lower mm -hmm. than, you know, going to try and start a business and whether it be like LA, even Austin seems more expensive when I've been there. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel like if I were to improve things, you would think it'd be more, um, you know, just ease of, of uh, finding office space here or um, just uh, those things that cities do entertainment wise to make it cooler to attract people yeah. and, and get we'll see, people to stay here. Well, see, the thing is to me, you know, were you born here too? Are yes. you from here? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I mean, you're talking to three guys who were born, we're talking to three guys who were born in Kansas City. Mm -hmm. um, and we have a kind of an affinity for it. We, there are things about it that we get. But honestly, I think what we need to have here is more energy. I think there needs to be a sense that we are, we are moving, we're accelerating. Mm -hmm. And that the opportunities are accelerating. That, that the ways in which, and in some ways you might think about it as with something as symbolic, but as real as the airport. Mm -hmm. like if if we're connected and people feel like the things that we do are relevant 
and that they're get, and that we are more relevant. Sometimes I worry, honestly, that because it is such a nice quality of life, that we ourselves, like the three of us here, are a little bit complacent. We're not, I want us to strive harder, frankly. I want us to strive harder, because the reality is that life is not that easy for a huge portion of this town. There are a lot of low-income people here mm -hmm. that are not getting by in the way that we are. And so if we started to strive and to say, if we could create energy and dynamism around really activating what we think are the values of Kansas City, the virtues of Kansas City, and everyone participated in that, think of the flywheel of, of fact of that momentum. That to me creates energy. If we are too happy, mm -hmm. then we're passive in our, if we're too passive in our happiness, if we accept it as a given and not as something that we have to then magnify for others, and that means really sweating it, we have to sweat for it. I, I don't think that we will attract people here because I think that mm -hmm. there's a kind of, I think that there's a kind of, like if you're going to make an investment, right? You're going to make an investment in, in a, in a go-go business. You're putting your heart and your soul into that. You're going to lose, you're risking everything for that. And you've got to believe that the community around you is full of, of people who honor that risk taking. And we talk a lot of BS here in Kansas City about entrepreneurship. But do we really accept the risk takers? Do we really value them? Do we support them? Do we give them a home? Or do we look at them a little bit cross-eyed? Because they don't want the home in our neighborhood. They, mm -hmm. want, they, want, to live, they want to live light. Or they, you know, and that's not every entrepreneur. That's a, that's a kind of a stereotype or cliche. I recognize that. But if we want the most of those people, I think we have to show them that their energy is going to be matched by our energy and not just by the energy of our teams on the field. No offense. Yeah, that's but, fair. But by our energy. Like yeah. We have, to, we have to double up on them. Mm -hmm. And that's, and that's, that's a little bit, that's a little bit uncomfortable because it does look like, you know, Jesus, my life is pretty good. Mm -hmm. should, should maybe, maybe we should change the name of the bank to energy bank. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I think that's taken. I think they, had to, I think they, they spelled it slightly differently. First energy bank. Taken. First energy like, bank. Yeah. <laughs> yeah first first energy. Energy. Oh, well, then I might have to move to Texas. Yeah. Because yeah, I think true. that there is probably first energy bank in Texas. Yeah, <laughs> but what, what you are saying does hit home because it's almost like sometimes I'm like, I love the secret that we have in Kansas City. Like, yeah, I love this town and I almost want to keep it a secret and not share it with anybody because I've been to Austin and it's like, oh, this traffic here sucks and they're just rebuilding everything and it's hard to get around. But uh, so it's like, oh, I just want to like keep it this little secret here. Uh, but that, that that is the wrong attitude to have when we're talking about wanting to you know, push the limits and see Kansas City grow. Yeah, I mean, here's, here's a way to think about it. You know, people talk about traffic. 
Danny honestly, loves traffic. Danny well, he, <laughs> he loves to hate traffic. I love <laughs> to hate traffic. I, I, I got to say, though, the cities in the world where the greatest things are happening are the cities with shitty traffic. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you think about it. You think about where the art, where the, the excitement, where the are places that people find that all they do is complain about them. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody knows that the prices, you know, the housing prices in Silicon Valley are way too high, right? And everybody knows that traffic is terrible. Cost of living is outrageous. Mm-hmm. People still and move there. We've, and we've been telling people all along that you can, you can live in Kansas City and you can have a great life and great quality of life and no commute and you can have all this great stuff. But people still don't leak, come here. They're not, they're not, there's not an exodus from the coast to come to this great quality of life. So if we want to actually be a creator, an exporter of our culture, of, of, and, and attract people that stimulate us, that make us better, that create new opportunities, then we have to accept that the ultimate the be all and end all is not uh, traffic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I got uh, two rapid fire questions for you here. Got him. Got so him. I feel like you were talking a lot about um, like storytelling being a big part of of what you do at the bank. So yeah. if I walked in asking for a loan to start a business, if I had a good enough story, like you know, let's say starting a brunch restaurant where you cook on a hibachi grill. Uh, I mean, how's that story hidden? Looking for a business loan. Think about it. All the best breakfast foods are um, made on a skillet it's a grill. Pancakes flying at you. Yeah. Cooking bacon, hamburgers, breakfast burritos, hash browns. It's a great story. It's a great story. I love. Do you do have the knives? Do you do oh, the knives? Yeah. The we got the whole hibachi thing going. Bottomless mimosas going. Boom. Okay. Actually, yes. with mimosas on a skillet too. Uh, I would throw that. them at people too. I, I don't know. We'll we'll figure it out. <laughs> Flaming mimosas. Okay. Yeah. There you uh-huh. go. Still do the onion ring fire too. Just would be an electric brunch. So I'm gonna let you marinate on that one. Maybe tell okay, your uh, loan it. officers about this this idea. Love it. Got. Love it. Next, just a quick advice. I think I get this question. I talk about it with my friends a lot who are all millennials who have student loan debt and are now approaching 30 and thinking about buying that first house. Do you just have like kind of some general, and Danny actually just bought a house too, just advice of juggling the the student debt that you have with trying to also make that first home purchase too. I don't know how you do it, frankly. <laughs> I don't have a good answer to that. Okay. Because because we really have not figured out what we're doing with with people, the the ways that we're letting them get into this debt. We don't. I don't. I don't know how to. I'll answer. take. I'll take it, Josh. Here's good. here's the answer. Um, marry someone who mm. has more money than you. <laughs> right there. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> that is super. That is super. And you don't need a PhD in English literature to get to that story. No, you don't. Just go to Mizzou, a couple frat parties at Mizzou, meet meet the right one, and boom, she's rich. Boom. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Okay, yeah. so that's that's cut to 
Find somebody who's richer than you are. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Well, Josh, thank you so much for your time. I, I loved all the topics we covered. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, Kevin, and, we're losing you. Oh, you are? I'll sign off for us, Josh. Thank okay. you so much. Really appreciate it. This was a, a really fun conversation, and, and we it's, det it's deteriorating here at the end, but <laughs> great conversation. We got off banking. We talked about Kansas City. It was, it was a great, great conversation, so we really appreciate it. Thanks. Hey, I enjoyed it. Thanks a lot for taking the time with me. All right. Thanks again to Josh Rowland, who uh, joined us this week. Uh, really fun conversation. Learned a lot. Um, we, I don't think we got into this on the podcast, but we talked about the dividing lines that we mentioned in the openings, and we did get a talk a little bit about that with Josh off air, which was really cool. Uh, just from his perspective, actually understanding the banks and everything that happened. So I feel like we could have him on just to talk all about that later on, which mm -hmm. would be really cool. But the guy knows a ton about Kansas City. He loves the city that we're in, and he really wants to challenge Kansas City to just be, just just continue to be a better city for entrepreneurs and innovators and business uh, and everybody who lives in here. And that's everybody on both sides of you know, those dividing lines that we have. That's what he really wants to see. Uh, so very, very cool interview. Um, so uh, let's, let's keep the theme positive here um, before we end it on a, just a negative down, down spin, really, now that I'm looking uh -huh. at how yeah. this episode is. <laughs> so let's talk Midwest Nice. Um, and uh, for this installment of Midwest Nice, where something really nice happens in Kansas City or a Kansas Cityan does something really nice, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs did something really, really nice uh, by winning the Super Bowl. Uh, they saved lives. They saved people uh, from COVID-19, from the coronavirus, uh, by winning the Super Bowl. Okay, um, so I haven't read the article, so uh, I'm going to need you to... Okay. But I'll just, tell you how. I thought for sure I misread it, and I thought the title was like, the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl, like, you know, killed people. <laughs> no, it saved lives. There is literally nothing our Lord and Savior, Patrick Mahomes, cannot do. Like, okay. the fact that, you know, he was down 10 with under 10 minutes left and had lives on the line. Mm -hmm. Like, literally, we know now lives are on the line of him winning this game, and he did it. I mean, just, again, proves uh, why he is our Lord and Savior. But here's, here's how it saved lives. Um, so you may recall the, the celebration took, took place, I think, a week later in Kansas City. Um, but um, if it would have been won by the 49ers, that means that parade would have happened in San Francisco. And the coronavirus got to San Francisco much sooner than it got to Kansas City. So literally Ooh. the night that the Super Bowl was played was when San Francisco put together their like um, emergency uh, COVID task force. Mm -hmm. um, so literally that night they had um, two people, uh, their first two patients in the country uh, that were required hospitalization and or I guess in the county in, in San Francisco that required hospitalization was on the Super Bowl night. Mm -hmm. so that's literally when it was in San Francisco. Um, so this is Dr. Naraj Sagal, who is a professor of medicine at the University of California, San Francisco, and he was uh, the head of this task force. 
uh, basically said that if the Niners would have won, they would have had this huge parade, all these people out, shoved in one area, traveling from all over California, and then probably just taking that virus and spreading it all over the entire state. Uh, but that didn't happen. Um, so the uh, San Francisco and California, you know, even though um, it hasn't been great, I mean, definitely this this helped that there wasn't a parade in February in San Francisco. So yeah, that's crazy. The Super Bowl feels so long ago. Um, yes, and um, I'm gonna avoid spiraling down a negativity uh, with this because it's like, holy shit, we knew about this that long ago. We didn't know anything, but. Um, the, uh, but yeah, Patrick Mahomes out here saving lives. Yeah, I know. Uh, so really, really incredible. So, uh, Dr. Sigal, uh, he said during a recent presentation that the Chiefs comeback win, uh, was a gift for the city. So Patrick Mahomes says, you're welcome, San Francisco. That's kind of a double, uh, just a double shitty thing if you're a San Francisco... I mean, I guess it's a good thing, you know, but hearing someone say that it was a gift that you lost the Super Bowl, that, that stings too, you know. You don't want to accept a gift like that. So it's kind of a double burn for a lot of uh, Niners fans, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but, you know, luckily uh, we had the parade here. Um, I, I think that was okay. <laughs> I hope. Kansas City yeah. wasn't too bad, so. Um, yeah. All right. Patrick Mahomes doing, doing what he does best. Patrick Mahomes, existence to you, while grotesque, probably saved. <laughs> uh, that's, so, that's a, just need to play that speech to every Niners fan. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, all right. So, uh, that's our Midwest nice, uh, for the week, uh, brought to you by Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, now, uh, let's get into the personal pine tars, um, our daily struggles that we have to endure, um, uh, during these, these troubling times. Mm-hmm. I saw, I saw people, uh, and this is what reminded me of the personal pine. I saw people give Patrick Mahomes flack this week on Twitter for saying, I wish I was at the masters right now. And people were like, wow, during these times. And it's like the world there are always shitty things going on in the world 24 seven. The world is a scary, scary place with terrible things happening all the time to, to be upset by minor inconveniences is just human. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, yes, this is happening, but it's okay to miss having the masters. I miss it. I watched the 18th, the replay of uh, the 2019 masters on Sunday. Mm -hmm. I miss it too. And so, People coming at Patty Mahomes for it's his in, personal pine tar was off. It's incredible that people that there's so many people out there that don't have critical thinking ability, mm-hmm. ability to think critically at all. That two um, things can be true at the same time. That 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 don't understand that two things can be true at the same time. <laughs> that, that you can both miss sports deeply and want it back, and also practice and believe in all the precautions and necessary steps being taken to prevent the spread of this disease. Both mm-hmm. things can be true at the same time. You imbeciles that don't know how to think. Yes, so that is a great lead in uh, because again, we know these are very minor things in the grand scheme of things. So 
And I think mine fits in here because uh, Saturday it was all geared up because uh, the, the weatherman um, got the forecast wrong, I think. Um, me and my buddy Kevin Keatsman, we were pretty heated about that. Don't know if you saw that, but, I mean, I was just as equally irate as he was <laughs> at the weather forecast. But I, I just saw it as a gift, like, oh, it's nice out. I'm going to go play some pickleball. Doesn't that sound mm-hmm. Uh, an activity of just two people, um, you know, not in a crowd, uh, very safe, socially distant, right? Uh, all of the tennis courts are locked up and chained up in Prairie Village. And so couldn't, couldn't play pickleball. Uh, like even at that little park on 69th and Row, where it's just one tennis court, locked up. Couldn't play. Mm. Like I get that um, – we shouldn't be like going to crowded places and, and going and all using the same jungle gym at parks. But I feel like playing tennis, like you can't play tennis with 10 people. There's not mm-hmm. a lot of, there's no physical contact in the sport of tennis or pickleball. So I don't understand why the court, courts are closed. And I really just want to play some pickleball and I couldn't. <clears throat> yeah, I don't either. I mean, I think, I guess it's, you know, if I were, I guess it's because, you know, they have to, if they have to close down parks, they have to close down all the stuff that is considered like part of the park. And obviously you can't close down like sidewalks and stuff and and bills of those parks. But yeah, I mean, it, it it doesn't uh, make any sense. And uh, there's no logic behind the decision of not being able to play tennis. Yeah. I just wish I just wanted to play some pickleball and I couldn't. So I was upset. Mm -hmm. I mean, I get it. it. I get it. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like you can still practice social distancing, playing pickleball, close every very, other court, you know. Very distant. Yeah. But yeah. What a bummer. Agreed there. Um, I would be more mad if I were you, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like, well, I'm scared of people coming for me, you know. Yeah, nothing you can do. If there. they came for Patrick Mahomes, they'll come for me. True. Yeah. They came for Pat, Mah- Pat Mahomes and I said nothing. Um, <laughs> All right, so uh, my personal pine tar is uh, involving the new house that I just uh, got and moved into. Um, one, the amount of load trips that are required is uh, lows gotta go. It's, it's it's ridiculous. It's insane. I basically live there, and I I've gone to Lowe's five times since since moving in. Every single time, I've had to go back and return something. Mm. Uh, go back because I forgot something, but mostly I've had I, every time I've had to return something, um, and that's a hassle there. They, 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 it's a big line, and because everyone's returning stuff. Um, but then two um, for our wedding, which was about a year and four months ago, um, we got most. We lived lived in an apartment and got mostly like crate and barrel gift cards and like Pottery Barn. I really wish we had asked for more Lowe's gift cards. Yeah, so if you got them a Pottery Bond gift card, then, you know, fuck you, basically. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Everyone out there who got me a Pottery Barn and Crate and Barrel gift card, you're worthless. But really, we, we had like $225 in, in Home Depot gift or Home Depot and Lowe's gift cards. And I was like, oh, sweet. Like, uh, this this will be nice when we get a house. We'll be able to grab a few things from Lowe's and Home Depot. $225 at Lowe's is like shit you don't even know you need. Like 
we just went for like the basics, like stupid shit that every person should have in the house. Duct tape. Duct tape, a step stool, um, a putty knife, a fucking garden hose, uh, just random stuff. Boom. Easily 225 bucks. Like I thought that gift card was going to be for something fun, like patio furniture, <laughs> something like that. Um, no, it, it's for like no. stuff that we will buy and no one will know we have bought it with that $225. It'll just like go into shelves and storage and yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's my personal pie jar. Thanks for giving me money. You idiots. <laughs> me money at a different store instead of giving me money at a at a home goods store you should have given me money at a home improvement store freaking jerks 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 every last one of them all right so that is our personal pine tars couldn't play pickleball money to the wrong store for our wedding life is hard matt couldn't watch the masters this weekend Damn, I I missed the Masters. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's wrap it up this week uh, with our mixed plate. Um, I feel like this one came to me, well, one, because I deleted a episode or a full interview of um, uh, this podcast uh, on my computer. Uh, Danny's just technology challenged as well, but I've lost all footing to make fun of him for being technology challenged now because I deleted uh, a whole interview, uh, which also <laughs> sucks. But so we're going to do the mixed plate of inconveniences caused by technology. Mm-hmm. And I feel like everyone is really experiencing these right now too, because we're all stuck at home and we're all trying to, to use technology at this time. So that's how I'll tee it up. Okay. And uh, w- w- this is episode 50. Even. Even as Kevin. Kevin, we are on a roll now, as long as we remember that. So uh, here is going to be my meet number one of inconveniences of technology. Um, Man, I got to say, this is just my meet number one. Just nothing uh, will infuriate me more, especially if I'm like set, made, scheduled some time to watch a movie on Netflix or a streaming service. And all I can do is just buffer, just buffer. Mm. And I restart the internet. I restart the TV. I restart the fire stick. I change it from 2G to 5G, whatever the fuck that means. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And do everything I can. And I'm still just getting buffering because I know everybody at this time of year or this, this time with, with all the streaming going on, everything's just slowed down. And, it just, oh, that really grinds my gears when I've made time to watch a show and it just buffers and I can't watch it. I thought you were going to say um, not being able to pick a movie to watch because I suffer deep. Oh, God. I get, yeah. on, I get on Netflix and I'm just like, I just scroll forever. And, like, and then I end up picking a movie that I've seen before. Uh, oh, I, I, there's, I have Disney Plus, I have Hulu, I have Netflix. And somehow I, the movie I'm watching is on Amazon Prime. It's called uh, The Rainmaker. It's a 90s movie about a John Grisham book starring Matt Damon as a lawyer and Danny DeVito as a lawyer. And Danny Glover is the judge. And for some reason, that's what I'm investing all my time in with all this fantastic content out there. You ever heard that's of it? That's wild. Yeah, that's, that's what I came to. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, that's a good one. That's a good one. Buffering is the worst. Um, all right, so my mixed plate um, of inconveniences by technology caused by technology. Um, my meat number one, I'm going with when you paste text in <laughs> Word or if you paste text, like copy and paste, paste text into an email or you're pasting text into Excel, who in their right minds wants to leave it in the format it came from? Why is it default uh, convert to matching format of the text and the size and everything? Who in their right minds leaves it in the original format from where you texted it? You're copying it into an email. Okay, pause. You want it to, you, Hold on real quick. My, what? My, this is perfect, because during this segment, my, my internet is cutting out. This is just, that's, I mean, you cannot, cannot time that any better. Because this is perfect. <laughs> this is perfect. This is perfect. I'm like, now I'm checking out the 2G versus the 5G, what, sig what signal's looking stronger here. But I got you back. I got you back. Copy and paste in. Go. I heard most of it. You were about to say, who, you copy it from there. Why would you want to paste it looking like that? Yeah, yeah. So how far did I get in my rant? Because I kept going. I kept oh, going for a while. That's literally what you said. You were like, I grab it. Like, I had heard like half of it probably. Yeah. Okay, so, so anyways, just copy and pasting text. Like, you highlighted text for a reason because you just want the text. So the default setting should just be match the default text of whatever document I'm putting it in and just, I, I don't need the original format. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. Let's see. My meet number two of uh, technology inconveniences. I'm going to say um, I just, I have a problem with batteries. They are not good enough. They're, you're, you cannot tell me that where we are with this day in technology that batteries are this shitty still. It is unbelievable to me that the battery, the AA, AAA, all those batteries still look the same like that and that those technologies haven't advanced. And what else pisses me off is how is a 65-inch TV, how, how does that not just have a built-in battery so I can take that TV anywhere? Like, I mean, the fact that I can power my iPhone for... Uh, I could probably watch a movie or probably a four hour show. Like I bet I could watch four hours of video on my iPhone or on my computer. So why can't to scale, why the hell can't I just have a TV with a built-in battery? That doesn't make any sense. Like why doesn't that exist? And really just everything that's electric, why can't there just be a built-in battery for it? Like that, do, that doesn't seem that hard at all. Get better batteries. It, it's it's ridiculous how how slow that is coming along for me. <laughs> uh, you're just not not in your head. I don't know. What's that? Did you hear? Did you hear that rant? Uh, yeah. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I got you now. I got you now. I know about Tesla, okay. and I know that. Right, so my meet number two. 
I heard the I heard the whole thing. Okay. Um, it was good. My meat number two for the mixed plate. <laughs> Are we good? Should yeah, I go? we're good. Should I go? Should we... Yeah, we're good. Okay. I mean, number two for the mixed plate um, of frustrations with technology is, um, again, I'm going back to Microsoft Word because in my job, like, I use the simple apps. I'm not, like, a designer. I'm not, um, I'm not creative at all. I'm not good with technology. So I just use, like, basically Microsoft Word and Excel. Why the hell is Microsoft Word not just a long Microsoft PowerPoint? Like, why when you put a picture into Microsoft Word, does, it, does the format get all freaking nutty? Like, and then you can't certain places in your Word, you can't put the picture in certain places within your Word document. And then if you're trying to put like a little piece of text underneath the, the picture in the Word document or whatever it is you're putting into a Word document, um, like why, why is it so, why is it so difficult? Microsoft Word should just be Microsoft PowerPoint, but but um, but letter formatted instead of instead of uh, or yeah whatever it is, it's <laughs> stupid. Yeah, there's nothing worse than playing around with the the in line with text or square or behind text in front. Of, that 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 never works. Oh, never works. oh, it's insane. Yeah, yeah, copy and paste. And like the picture can only go in certain places. Like you have to indent it or you have to like line it up on all those stupid margins that are yeah. up top. Like if you ever put a lot of stuff into a Word document, 16 little margins yep. started mm. up, up top, that, that'll, that'll make you want to throw your computer out, out of the window. Yeah, that'll ruin your day. Um, all right, let's see. My side number one, um, I'm going to say when uh, the timing gets messed up between your um, – message and your like picture or gift that you send in a text like because sometimes you have a fire gift with a funny little comment and the, the order will go wrong and then you just look like an idiot just 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 a real dummy because you're like wait what this doesn't make sense or like wait what is this text what is this picture because because the other part didn't send at the right time mm-hmm that's that's a good one. That's infuriating. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, I, that's the worst. Um, all right, my um, side number one. Um, I'm gonna say, just feeling stupid. Like technology makes me feel so stupid sometimes because I can't accomplish something so simple. Like before we started this podcast, just my headphones weren't working. Um, the, the, the speakers coming out of my uh, laptop weren't working and I tried to troubleshoot it and I didn't know what I was doing. So I was just pressing buttons and I essentially deleted um, mm-hmm. my, my speakers on my laptop and um, like acted like those didn't exist anymore. Um, and then I couldn't figure out how to get them back on. It just technology makes me feel really stupid and I hate that. Yeah. I'm, that, that's definitely some, some of that's brought on by yourself. Because the only headphones no you own are iPhone headphones that have the auxiliary cord still, like that old, and that's it. And you have two podcasts no that you're doing virtually. Come on! Oh, all all of these, <laughs> all of these are self. Like, if I could just take you know a couple classes on Microsoft Word, the most basic freaking program <laughs> in the world, and a lot of my problems would be solved. But uh, 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. I'm going to go with uh, my meet number two uh, to round things out. Uh, I'm going to go with um, dumb notifications from apps. Just mm. dumb, dumb notifications. Like sometimes I'll log on to Twitter and be like, oh, I've got a, a little uh, notification. This is exciting. I'll click on it and it, it's just completely pointless. Uh, just like so-and-so liked so-and-so sweet, like just completely random. Like, why are you bringing that to my attention? Why is that a notification? Happens on Instagram, happens on Facebook. Uh, and then you, because I'm obsessed with clearing out the little red notification dot. I can't have that on my phone. So I have to click into it. And then I guess it's a dumb one. The Kansas City oh. Chiefs app is the the king at sending pointless notifications. But I feel like I have to keep it on as a season ticket holder just in case I really need it. Like Something really cool could come yeah, up. Yeah, like if there's a stupid light show that they want to put on that doesn't even fucking work, and so they do it again and it doesn't work again, I need to know about that. But I don't yeah. need to know about every little thing. Like I have four notifications on my app today from the Chiefs. What the fuck do they want to tell me on April 13th in the middle of a shutdown that they need to send me notifications to show up on my app? Like. Get a get a hold of yourselves, Chiefs. Mark Donovan, I'm looking at you. <laughs> it, this is not over, Mark Donovan. Mark Donovan is the best rivalry of 2020. Yeah. Hey, how about, don't worry about the app. App, and how about you just fix how long it takes to get into the freaking stadium? It shouldn't take an hour to get into the stadium, Mark. Donovan. Mark Donovan. All right, that's a good one. Um, I, this, I was going to get fired up over that. Too. My side number two, um, I'm gonna, again, um, I'm going to, again, shift the blame, as I always do, yep. someone else. And uh, obviously, I suck at technology, so I am probably this person for a lot of others. But people even worse than me at technology bother the crap out of me and are a big inconvenience. And it's just like the little things that really bother me. like. Um, like, for example, I remember Nick Wright, who has a national TV show. Um, he will do his TV show with the computer like this, where it's just yeah. underneath his chin, and he looks like a thumb. And Nick Wright, he says, he talks about this all the time. He's not a, a, an attractive dude. And so the angle that puts his computer at, it's just staring straight at him, like, like a dad <laughs> selfie on Instagram. Yeah. And it's like, dude, you are on a national TV broadcast with with your phone below you looking down at that horrible angle. Put your computer, like right now, I've got my computer up on a box yeah. so that it's even with me and I'm not looking down on it and I got that awful angle. Just put your computer on a box. Like there are people going on national TV. Yeah. People going on national TV and the angle is right below their chin. And I'm just like, Literally, you don't need anything fancy. Just find a box. Yeah. Box. I mean, I, I've got it. Just uh, I got a desk that I can just put it right on top of. Like, if I went Nick Wright, like, that's not good. <laughs> like, you think people want to see that? Or, like, look yeah. at this. I look like a stallion with this mustache right now. You're just, on national TV looking like a little bit of an angle. That's all you need. It's, it's just it's really not hard, folks. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one. I left off. I left off the conference calls being choppy. That, that, I thought that was too easy, too obvious. Uh, I uh, – oh, batteries. God damn, those batteries. 
Um, and then I said, not enough room on your iPhone to update it. You, you mm. got that, because that also leaves that red notification up there on your system. Oh, that's kind of your fault, because you still have an old ass iPhone. And you need I got an up. iPhone 8. Yeah, I got an like iPhone 10s 8. 10s and above. Yeah, I got an iPhone 8. But um, yeah, not being able to update your software because your phone's too full and then everything slows down. That's, that's, that sucks. That sucks. Yeah, I left off um, people who, and this is talks about, everyone knows this, so it's no surprise, but like people who don't go on mute on large conference calls, like oh. there's 200, there, there, there's, there's 500 people on this conference call or, or there's two, sorry, because that will be in mute or like presenter only, but we have conference calls that aren't presenter only because they want audience participation or, or some people need to chime in. So it's a 250 person conference call and you you haven't figured out that you're not on mute. Like, how dumb are you? You are so dumb if you're not on mute on a conference call. There's no excuses. Any, yep. Like, there's no excuses anymore. Or if you have the conference call, automatically dial out to your phone, and then it rings and rings, and we hear your – all 250 people hear your message – has that ever happened to you? And they hear yeah. your voicemail? Yeah. yeah. And then it just, gosh. So that's infuriating. Uh, my keyboard problem that I've talked about before, <laughs> the keyboard being a little wider spread, um, yeah. new passwords. Like I'm the type oh, of yeah. like thinks other people will judge me on my password, even they'll though they'll never know. Literally something that I only know, but I'll be like, man, if I put like, Royals 2015 is my password. Like, that's kind of lame, but like, people will judge me if I ever have to tell them my password. I'm like, I will never tell anyone my password. <laughs> I still struggle creating new passwords because of that. Yeah, yeah. All right, so that let's wrap that up there uh, for this week. Um, thanks again to Josh for joining us. We are going to re-record this Enneagram interview with Danny Cooper this week, and I I'm going to do my best not to hit the delete button on it this week. Uh, so hopefully we can bring that to you next week. Uh, stay safe out there. Stay home, KC. Uh, that, that's all we got, right, Dan? That's it. That's all I got. All right. Follow us on social media at State Your Line on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're out there. Uh, so go follow us. Tell us. Tell a friend about us uh, to listen to us during to pass the time here. Uh, we really appreciate that. And we'll see you around, Kansas City.